Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. Good evening, citizens of Geconia. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the awesome Gecko Nation and to the Gecko community for which it stands, one nation indivisible, with information and enthusiasm about geckos for all. <laughs> I know, that's corny. I just came up with that uh, today. I posted that in Facebook. Um, I don't know. I try to be funny sometimes. <laughs> uh, I just want to welcome all you guys to this episode. It's going to be a great one. Um, tonight is November 17th, 2013, and the topic tonight is going to be, wow, Mike Eklund and I are going to ponder the mysteries of the universe and all kinds of really deep stuff that maybe a lot of you guys don't think about. Well, more and more people are kind of opening their minds and I guess becoming more conscious of reality for what it really is and not kind of breaking free from the the doctrine and the I don't know the stuff that we're programmed to believe from from the time we're born and uh this awakening is happening and uh, I think it's pretty cool and Mike is no stranger to that uh Mike and I are pretty deep thinkers and we we think about these kinds of things you know we're not just uh, satisfied sitting on the couch watching a football game no offense to anybody that likes football, that's cool. But um, we, we're kind of like really deep thinkers. So we're going to talk about some crazy stuff tonight. And we may even touch on his morph, the Funky Jungle. And uh, don't worry, guys, we're definitely going to uh, discuss the Funky Jungle morph and what it is and how he discovered it and all that because it's important and it's definitely a, a definitely a really interesting uh, part of the gecko uh gecko hobby this morph is going to basically i think it's going to be more mainstream and more widespread in the future uh, right now it's basically in the hands of a few people a few uh lucky people have it and uh there's definitely something special about it and um first of all, i want to tell you guys about our call-in system the call-in number for the show is 646-478-331 now when you use that call-in number it's going to ask you uh, to speak to the host, press 1. If you want to actually come on the air and ask a question, at that point you have to press 1. If you guys just want to call and listen to the show, just call. Don't press 1 because if you press 1, it puts you in the call queue and then your number appears on my list on my switchboard and then I assume that you're calling to call in to talk to the either the guest or to myself. So that's just a little instruction I'm going to give you guys at the, end, at the beginning of every episode. Because what's happening is the call queue is filling up like with so many callers and I can't determine which ones are calling in to ask questions or, you know, participate in our contests or which people are just calling to listen to the show. So if you just want to listen, just call the number and you'll be able to hear the show. Um, I also want to tell you guys that this Tuesday we're doing another special auxiliary episode and it is with Andrew Wyatt of Herp Alliance. So if you guys want to hear 
uh, from Andrew and what he has to say about legislation, about what it's like to present the reptile community and uh, basically do everything that they do um, on Capitol Hill and all the behind-the-scenes action about protecting our rights to own our exotic pets, uh, you're not going to want to miss this episode on Tuesday, uh, 11, well, November 19th at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And then this upcoming Sunday, we have the James Bond girl of the gecko community, and that is Rebecca Hassler of Dragoon Gecko. She'll be calling in all the way from Germany next Sunday, and I'm really looking forward to speaking uh, to Rebecca again. She's awesome. Um, I just love her work, and she's, oh, my God. you got to check out some of her geckos. They're incredible. And she's got a great ethic to this whole thing. Um, but before we get started, I must, must, must tell you about our great sponsors. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by... Razor-sharp reptiles. Like the name suggests, Jamie Carnes has some sharp gecko and snake projects in the works. He is very well known for his work with rare species, such as cave geckos, but also has some of the prettiest radar projects I've ever seen. Razor-sharp reptiles is also known for high-end fantails and beautiful rainwater leopard gecko morph projects. Check out razorsharpreptiles.com online and on Facebook. ABDragons.com is your source for the highest quality doobie roaches, whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps. ABDragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt reptile heat tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out ABDragons.com online and on Facebook. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more, and all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. All right, everybody, I am back, and we're not going to waste any more time. Um, well, maybe we are. I don't see Mike's number in here. <laughs> um, hey, Mr. Eklund, the number you called me on earlier is not appearing on the uh, 
switchboard. So if you're calling me from a different number, just uh, text me on Facebook or something on your on the Facebook chat and let me know which number it is because we got a bunch of numbers in here. Um, well, in the meantime, guys, I'll just tell you a little bit what's going on in my life here. Um, I'm really digging waxy monkey frogs. <laughs> I got these really cool frogs here that I've been working with for quite some time now. And uh, they are kind of like the dumpy tree frogs, evil twin. Uh, you know how dumpies kind of have that uh, smile on their face and they always look happy? Well, these guys, <laughs> they're like, they're cool, and they don't quite have a smile. They have this really, I don't know, alien look to them. But they're similar to the to the uh, to the dumpies. So I'm really digging them, and hopefully I'm going to try to reproduce them. Um, okay, I see Mike's in here now. Let me go grab Mike. Mike Eklund, you are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, Dave, how's it going? Pretty good, Mike. Um, can you clean up that connection just a little bit? Uh, how about that? There, that's perfect. Right there, it? excellent. Uh, yeah, real good. Yeah, dude. sorry I was going? a little late on the call. You uh, told me to wait for the news to come in. I never heard any news, so I'm like, okay, when do I call? Good thing you queued oh, me in there, huh? I mean, yeah, you know what? Maybe it was my mistake. I want. I I think I meant to say that I was going to bring you on before the news. Maybe I said after the news. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, no worries. <laughs> my bad. Man. Oh, yeah, the new format. Yeah, the new format is uh, I'm bringing the guests on so that they can participate in the news. We do the news segment, which is you know Steve gives us a bunch of stories, and one of the stories is false. So it's kind of fun to figure out which one is the fake story. So I like to get uh, to be able to participate in that. So cool, man. Um, but before we bring on, yeah, before we bring on Steve, uh, Mike, you know, I I think it's I don't know. You're you're, the, you're one of the people in the community that. And number one is very well known, and a lot of people, not only do they have a lot of respect for you, but they just genuinely like you because you're just a really cool guy. Why don't you tell everybody uh, in the community who you are, and um, basically tell you know just give like a brief uh, recap of how you got into the into geckos and everything, and then we'll bring Steve on. Okay. All right. Well, I'm Mike Eklund, obviously by the uh, title of the show. Um, I, uh, basically, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of just down with people, uh, I, I get along well with others, um, I'm rather positive, and I just, I kind of tend to see the, you know, the brighter side of things, even, you know, in people that might, um, not be so positive to others, you know, I always give the benefit of the doubt, and, um, uh, basically, you know, uh, yeah, I just get along well with people, and, uh, I like to please people, and I, I always put others before myself, so, and um, basically got into, you know, reptiles like a lot of people did as a child. You don't need to hear all that stuff. But gecko-wise, I um, had some downtime in 1999 at the end of the year and spent a lot of time on the Internet then. It was like my first time on the Internet. I was like, oh, my God, this is so crazy. You look at all these websites and stuff. Hmm, let me check out some reptiles. You know, and I browsed around sites and whatnot, and I came across leopard geckos. And at that time, that was like, at you know, right around when um, the Blizzard came out, there was, you know, that was on like the cover of Reptiles Magazine too, by the way. That was the other uh, way I got, you know, into leopard geckos. And, uh, you know, it was a big thing about the Blizzard Lizard. There was a website, blizzardlizard.com. It was by prehistoric pets. Um, 
And, you know, I was like, yeah, cool, i got to get one of those. And then, you know, Tramper Albinos were going to be released within a few months after that. And it was like a big thing because they weren't just, you know, these spotted geckos that you might pass up in the, in the pet store because they're really not that cool. They just sit there. But now they're, you know, they look cool. And then, you know, so obviously at that point in time I was only 17 and I didn't have $2,000 to spend on either of those new morphs coming out. So, you know, I picked up a couple babies uh, from a big chain store. And uh, sadly my gecko... Um, experience kind of got cut short because just a few months after that I wound up having a, a diving accident I dove into shallow water and I um, shattered my fifth vertebrae severed my spinal cord and now I'm you know paralyzed so it was a few months after I got paralyzed the geckos went out with uh, one of my caretakers took them and then uh, you know it was probably it was like five years before I thought I could be able to handle, you know, um, taking care of the guys because I'm a quadriplegic, and basically that means, like, you know, all four limbs are affected. It doesn't mean I can't move my arms. It just means that my arms are uh, not, you know, as good as they used to be, basically. You know, I can use my hands mm-hmm. a limited uh, amount, you know, just whatever. You know, it was, it was, I didn't want to get back into it because I didn't want I, – I didn't have the confidence in myself. And anyways, I you know, I sold some – stuff and came across a little bit of money and went on fauna classifieds and bought you know a couple geckos and kind of you know went from there awesome yeah we'll get into exactly like how you discovered this amazing gene a little bit later in the show mike uh, yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah if, if you guys want to check mike out and what he you know basically uh some of his morphs go on on facebook and on Actually, yeah, on Facebook, and uh, look for Eubla Ferrets, right? Is that your yeah. Facebook page? Yeah, the, the okay. address is uh, straight up facebook.com forward slash Eubla Ferrets. Awesome. All right, cool. All right, Mike, we're going to go ahead and bring Steve on and okay. uh, see what he has to say. Good evening, Gekonians. Good evening, Steve. <laughs> Good evening. How you guys doing? I'm great. Okay, our first story, the 20th alligator this year was seized on Long Island. While SPCA investigators were, were investigating an unrelated matter, it was 13 inches long and appeared to be in good health. So that's 20 alligators this year seized in Long Island. Wow. When you say seized, is it seized out of a out of a person's house or out of the wild they found it? Yeah, this one was seized out of, out of a person's house. But that's 20, 20 altogether found and seized. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's what seized yeah. means. I don't know. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then, and that was that was again on Long Island because we've we've heard quite a few stories of alligators on Long on Long Island. So. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. in Brookhaven, Mississippi, a crew of workers found what was thought to be a two-foot alligator, and later identified as a caiman. The workers captured the caiman, and wildlife officials were contacted, and the caiman was taken into custody. 
Officials say it must have been a pet that grew too large to keep. So mm. in keeping wow. with the crocodilians, <clears throat> a British golfer needed 200 stitches after taking a shot from the edge of the water onto the green in a Mexico resort. A 12-foot crocodile grabbed the man just after taking the shot by the thigh, and fellow golfers beat 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 the, the, the crocodile with clubs and then ran it over with a golf cart. Nice. Oh, my God. Before, before I let go of the guy. He received 200 stitches. Oh, and, my God. That's crazy. Yeah, and the article says the croc still resides at the resort. Of course. So apparently they didn't hurt the croc. But yeah, two two. Could you imagine going golfing and <laughs> take your shot? And, yeah, yeah. I couldn't even imagine. Like, I bet you it was doing its normal predatory thing where it just sneaks up under the water, right? Comes up close to the edge and then you know jumps yeah. out at them. In the article, oh. it, it said it said the guy didn't even know there was water behind the bushes that were there, so he couldn't even see the water oh. behind it. The bushes were there, oh, and wow. he. The croc came right through the bushes and grabbed him. Oh my God! Can you imagine? And he's he's lucky. Twelve foot. He's real lucky. Yeah. I think they would have two hundred stitches. <laughs> I mean, right? yeah. I think it would have lost a limb or something. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it didn't have time to do like that death roll that they do. You know, twelve footer man. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Hmm. Wow. So then, a legless lizard stopped construction of a bridge in San Clarita Valley in Southern California. County officials are waiting for the Department of Fish and Wildlife for permission to continue construction. The species was not identified in the article. But if you remember, I don't know, it was like a couple months ago, we did, we, I had a story about um, four new species of legless lizards yep. were found. And so I don't know if that is related. It didn't say. I, I'm sure they're trying to find out if it's a new species or not, but construction has been halted on that. So that's cool hmm. that they, uh, yeah, that's you know, they, they stop for for an animal. Yeah, California actually seems to be pretty proactive about that kind of stuff. From what yeah. I, you know, what I can recall from the past few years. Which is a good That's thing. The, yeah, it is. It is. Hey, our next story is really cool. In Louisville, Kentucky, a 32-pound African tortoise named Spike, owned by William Duncan, who is a recovering alcoholic, says his pet serves as his therapy, and taking care of Spike gives him hope and helps him take better care of himself. Hmm. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And um, Mr. Duncan takes Spike on frequent walks and takes him to work every day. <laughs> and he's nice. a, that's a good size, good size tortoise, thirty-two pound tortoise. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So hmm. that's cool. You know, that's that's another. Hmm. We we had a, a gecko not too long ago that was a, you know, related to. Um, somebody using it as therapy 
So I like to hear those kind right. of stories. Yeah, that was the one with the uh, autistic kid, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I gotta say, gotcha. actually, yeah. I don't mind chiming in in my situation. You know, being you know a quadriplegic and whatnot, the geckos definitely help a lot because I spend a lot of time at home, and you know, just being able to to know that like these little things are always going to be there for you. You know, I mean, I know they have the reptilian brain, whatever, but come on, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, you're right on, Mike. You're right on about that. I think a lot of different pets are therapy for people. It doesn't matter if it's a you know, reptile, bird, cat, dog, whatever. You know, um, yeah. I, I'll tell you, I'd be, I'd be pretty. Uh, I don't know what my life would be like right now without my, my dog and my geckos and everything. They do definitely add a, add more purpose and more happiness to my life. So, yeah, I can, I can appreciate that. And I, I think it's a stress reliever too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, just yeah. interacting with them and. And it's positive and wholesome, you know, as opposed to going to the bars or whatever you're going to do to, you know, unwind from your day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our <clears throat> our next story, which I'm going to read the title just as it appears, the largest <laughs> snake in the world has invaded the United States. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. This article suggests that anacondas could be a bigger invasive threat than the Burmese pythons. Primarily oh because the yeah, primarily because the anaconda is almost fully aquatic, making it less likely to be seen. And in the article it goes through and it says Everglade residents have reported green and black snakes as big around as hula hoops and large yeah. enough to eat a man. <laughs> well, hold on a second. We, we, <laughs> a hula hoop? That's like three feet across. That's like three yeah. feet diameter or something. Oh my yep. God! What are these Florida residents smoking? They gotta be. They gotta be smoking some. They gotta be smoking some really good stuff down there. If that. If they're seeing snakes that big, I mean, come on. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I I thought oh, the same. Why, that's why I said I got to read this. You know the the title alone it says it for me. The, you know invaded the United States. Right. Oh, like so, they did it on purpose. You know. <clears throat> right. So <laughs> they've they've come with an intention. You know to eat our cats and dogs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so in, in the article it says that um, ten years ago is one of the first recorded findings of an anaconda and it was a young anaconda um and then it goes through and talks about other 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 anacondas found since then so i i i suspect that'll be on the next ban list obviously yeah. you know it, all right i don't know do i even have to go delve into this further i mean serious who is taking this, these people serious that they're seeing snakes as thick as hula hoops. I mean, why would anybody even print that? It, you know, if the government heard if heard about a story like that, you should, I bet you they'd be down there, you know, trying to seize this animal for genetic experiments to make super soldiers or something. I mean, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it is, it is, but but. 
people believe it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they do. Believe I don't know. It. For me, I you know I have ball pythons, and when I say python to somebody, they automatically imagine you know an eighteen foot snake, no matter what. Oh my god! You know and. And I have to explain to them, no, there's different species of pythons, and ball pythons are one of the smallest. You know, but they don't, a lot of people just, a python is a python. Yeah, oh, you know, I forgot, that could, be, that, could be, that could be one of the fake stories. I totally forgot about that. Oh, all right. <laughs> I hope that's the fake story, because that's crazy. <laughs> I can't believe there's people that, that's stupid down there. Oh, man. Okay, and our last story is in the Everglades, too, and I just found this earlier today. Uh, There will be no plans for a repeat of Florida's massive python hunt. Last year, I think it was January and February, they had the Burmese python hunt in the Everglades, and they do not plan to do it again. Um, And right out of the article, it says, the event drew more than 1,500 would-be snake killers from across the United States. News crews arrived from around the world to film the spectacle, and it only netted 68 Burmese pythons. So Mm then... Sounds like a story of a B-movie right there. Python (laughs) killers. They've come to the Everglades. (laughs) And then the right. Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission called it a success despite its modest tally because it delivered a mountain of data to scientists and allowed the agency to more sharply focus the future fight against the snake. Our primary goal for the Python Challenge was to raise awareness. <clears throat> Excuse me. And oh, I had another thing highlighted here, I thought. Let's see. There was something about um, they wanted. It was basically to get everybody so they knew that the Burmese pythons were there. But I mean, mm-hmm. that's there's been, been so much stuff out there. I don't know how anybody right. doesn't know they're there. <laughs> yeah, really. All right. So those are the stories, um, Steve. For the ADD people, all of us that have ADD, um, give us a quick recap. Of each one. Okay. Alligator number 20 found in in Long Island. Workers find uh-huh. two-foot caiman. British man escapes 12-foot crocodile. Legless lizard holds up bridge project. Tortoise helps al- alcoholic recover. The lo- largest snake in the world has invaded the United States. And no plans for repeat of Florida's massive python hunt. All right. All right, Mike, I'm going to let you go first because you're the guest tonight. Uh, think right, it thanks, over. Man. Which one? Which? Yeah, which story I think do you it's think a, I think it's a golf. I think it's a golfer. Honestly, I think that if the 12-foot crocodile came at someone, they would be a lot worse off than that. And I just, I just the whole running it over with the golf cart thing, I don't, I don't know. I just don't think. <laughs> okay. How do you, I mean, that's a big crack. How do you even get the golf cart over that? You can't get that over a log, you know what I mean? I think it's a mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, are people that crazy and stupid to say that there's hula hoop thick-sized snakes down in Florida? That's that's the story that the sad thing ridiculous is ridiculous to me. There, there, there are people like that, you know what I mean? 
I know. They, they, they saw the movie, they Anaconda. Right, right, right. They, <laughs> <laughs> they watch the Sci-Fi Channel too much. Yeah, they I mean, I see enough. Get eaten by one. Right, I see enough of these things online where people see this sea monster that washed ashore or something, and I look at the picture and it's clearly a whale. You know, I see enough of that to where I believe that that story definitely could be true. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see what they're saying in the chat room here. Um, let me say, uh, let's see, the crocodile story. The leg- Jay, Jay says the legless lizard story. Um, hmm. Fox story. I guess people are kind of mixed up here. Everybody's saying a few different things. I'm going to go with, um, wow, yeah. I'm going to go with the, the golf cart and the, the guy getting bitten, too. I'm going to, I'm going to go with Mike. Okay, that's that's the whole story. Because yeah, people are that crazy. Yeah, right. you 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 talk some sense into me, Mike. Because yeah, people are that dumb to, you know, say there's hula hoops, thick size snakes. So yeah, all right. Which is the full story, Mr. Steve? Oh, Steve is <laughs> the, the joys of Blog Talk Radio. Steve has dropped off. All right, so now we have to bring him back. Here he is. Okay. The, Steve, you with us? Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. The false story right. is workers find two-foot caiman. Oh. Really? <laughs> wow. wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. It was a tough one oh. this week, and I had, to, I had to throw in an extra crocodile in there, you know, so... <laughs> yeah, that's I like that though. That's good. You really had us going this time. Wow. All right. So there are yeah, there's some people running, some pretty incredible stories there. How, yeah. How the hell did they get the golf cart to to run over that big thing? I I don't know. You know, when I, now I, I think know. about the the uh, Cayman story, actually, if that was in the news, they wouldn't have corrected them saying that it wasn't an alligator. It would have still been an alligator, right? You know, because. Well, you go in the, you see the things in the news, and it says, uh, you know, so and so alligator ate whatever, and you look at the picture, and it's uh, now a crocodile. But to most of the world, that's an alligator. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I should I should have thought mm-hmm. about that. Wow. Yeah, that's true. Huh. All right. <laughs> that's, that's crazy, man. So wow. uh, look out look out for those uh, anacondas if you're going to Florida. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, I think they're just looking for another excuse, you know. They're just I, I wouldn't even put it past them to to like plant fake stories and you know, make up false uh you know, like I don't know, false incidents and you know what I mean? I, I totally wouldn't put it past them. It honestly, you know, it, it kinda surprises me that you hear more about Burmese pythons than the other things because that's really that's a perfect habitat for anacondas. You think they would have uh, caught a hold there, you know, even just being there ten years ago. I'm not saying I'm some kind of expert and I know how fast they reproduce. If there's, you know, a few of them in the wild, but you think you would honestly hear more about that. And you know, considering that they are fully aquatic, and if, if you see them like at the zoos and stuff, the way they're submerged, they're very well could be. Many you know anacondas down in the Everglades, because and you're just not going to see it, you know, because the fact of the matter is they're not out there to get people. So 
a pe- person could walk right by one and never notice it. You know what I mean? Because we're not their prey mm-hmm. items. And the, and they have an advantage. They have live birth. Right, right. Where where pythons lay eggs, so so that that would give them an advantage too. Right. Well, watch out for them, though. You know, <laughs> they they are they are big as hula hoops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. All right. So, what's going on in your neck of the woods, Mike? I mean, Steve. Um. Not too much. I did all my cleaning earlier today, and you saw the the update of the tangerine striped bell there, which just oh, keeps wow. looking better and better. It's like every every time you it really sheds, it's it. it just amazed. That right I'm there check is that out beautiful. Now. Yeah, Mike, it's beautiful. He hit on a beautiful, bold striped tangerine bell. I mean, this thing is. Red, reddish orange. It's oh man. Yeah. So nice. Great job that's, on that's that. That's the you know? only one that looks that good. But I kept all all the bells off of that off of the pairing. I kept all of them just until mm-hmm. I can see them grow up and see how they come out. And but that mm-hmm. one just seems to start, get more orange as it grows. It just gets brighter and brighter, which is, is that on awesome. your, your page? Oh, yeah, is that it right there? Dang. The one gecko yeah, up at 11, 14, 13? Yep. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and it started yeah, out yeah. looking like, a, look, it, it, it hatched looking just like a normal albino. There was, like, no yep. orange on it at all. And it so just, a, I mean, it's red just gone bell? crazy. Did you say a red stripe bow? That it's is? It's a, um... Tangerine. Tangerine. What do you call it now? Tangerine striped bell? Yeah. Wow. I was going to say, man, if that's a red stripe. That's like one of the nicest. You know, because with, with a lot of like stripes and other morphs when you cross it in the albino stuff, you tend to lose a lot of those characteristics of the original morph. I was going to say, man, that is like a red striped bell. <laughs> the wild, yeah, that's right? Awesome. That tail is nuts. Yeah, I love the head. Good. The head just—I love the head on it. it just yeah, it's it's beautiful. Wow! And thank awesome. you, Dave. <laughs> you're, you're welcome, Steve. You both, did the hard work on parents, that one, though. Both both parents came from you, and he does—he blows away the parent. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know. I honestly didn't. I, I mean, I knew you were going to. I thought you'd produce pretty cool stuff, um, but I didn't think they were going to be that cool. So, yeah. That, that's awesome. Yeah, if you guys want to wow. see it, check it out in, either on Steve's page or in the uh, Gecko Nation group. It's posted there as well. So, uh, so yeah, check that you, out. Uh, what kind of route are you taking with that Gecko? Are you going to go back to hats or are you going to go into more bells? I'm probably going to go back back into bells. And yeah. Maybe in because I've I kept I kept all the offspring from those parents and right. maybe I'll. See who's the best looking and and pair them up yeah. and see see what I guess see how they go as they grow. Yeah, I've always been like uh, the kind of guy that would take this gecko and then breed it back to like uh, a het, you know, that isn't doesn't get kind of washed out from the albino gene in there, 
and then, you know, take the best from there. And just because, I, I don't know, I mean, I love Bell Albinos. It's my favorite albino morph. It's one of my favorite morphs. But, like, I feel like if you go back to that het form, say, say just, you know, for this instance sake, that you're breeding a red stripe bell. Like, I would take, you know, a red stripe, breed it to a bell, make the hats, and then make a red stripe bell, and then I would breed back to more red stripes to continue to bring that red stripe in deeper and deeper and deeper until, it, like, literally, like I was saying, well, I thought this was a red stripe bell because of the way it looks. Because it's just, you know, the color on it is so good. The, the stripe is so defined. I mean, that's like a perfect echo. I mean, I understand how you could just go right back into the bells with it because you don't really have to do any more work on that. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. Well, I did I did hatch out. I, I do have two ha- tangerine hats that I hatched out out of there because the, the, the father was a um, bell sun glow, and then the mother was a tangerine or hypotangerine het bell. So oh, I so could... That- that's so I, I've just, got what some, type of stuff, huh? Wow, I didn't yeah. even realize that. That's pretty impressive. Hey, Mike, it's a little bit hard. It's a little bit hard to hear you, Mike. Can you put your mic a little closer to your face, Mike? Mike and Mike. Oh yeah. How about, and how about now? The mic? Is that better? Sounds good. Yeah, no. your mic sounds good, Mike. Sorry, dude. Yeah, I can hear it. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dave. I'm glad, glad you can hear me now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think what's happening is you might be moving it away from your face, and it's it's hard. Yeah, to that's hear exactly you. exactly what happened. Exactly. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no, unfortunately, cool. unfortunately, it looks like all all the bells that I hatched are female, and I was hoping I'd get Why a male in there somewhere. Well, it's it's no. good, but I was hoping I'd get a male in there somewhere. Right. But well, <laughs> you could. I would treat all the, those females back to the dead. That's yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. Definitely. I'm trying to find it right now. Oh yeah, look at this thing. It's beautiful, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I I love it. That's okay. that's my favorite by far this year. Yeah, man. Beautiful. Awesome. Awesome gecko. Huh. All right. Well, you got some uh hey Steve, why don't you let people know about the other animals you have for sale? Um, so they can, you know, contact you. You got some ice ball pythons up for grabs too. Yeah, I've got um, I've got one pied left, some bumblebees, a couple of albinos. Uh, pretty sure I've got pastels left. It might be, it might be it. Oh, lessers. I've got some lessers. Um, mm-hmm. And then I've got some rainwater stuff for leopard geckos. And actually, that's it because I kept I uh, I kept all kinds of stuff, <laughs> so I <laughs> held back a lot. So until I no, I, I want to see what they look like as they get bigger, and then I'll decide if I want to you know let them go or not. But hey, man, three hundred chip for an albino, three hundred chip for albino female ball python. I can't beat that, right. huh? Checking that? that out right now. I'll say oh, three hundred yeah. chip for an albino ball python. You can't really beat that. No, that's a female too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I just got in, kind of got into ball pythons a little bit. I mean, I've been into them for a while, but I finally picked one out myself at uh, Timley Park. Pretty nice. cool. Like, oh yeah, what'd you get? But yeah, I got a spider yellow oh. belly. 
I only I had oh, like two hundred right. to spend, you know, and I went over everybody's table. I'm like, hey, what can you sell me that's cool for two hundred bucks? And I really like yellow belly stuff because if I ever do breed it, you know, there's just so much cool things you can do with that. And uh, you know, I wanted something that didn't look so normal, you know. So the single gene stuff was kind of not doing it for me. And uh, it was either that or like a, a Mojave spider, which was pretty cool. I had someone that was going to sell me a uh, kingpin for three hundred, but I was just like, ah. You know, with that whole that that lesser complex, I like the darker stuff. So if I was going to get one, I'd get the, you know, some with Mojave or Phantom or Mystic. Yeah, but again, I like I, uh, I like my blonde pastel. I want to get I want to get blonde pastel into everything because she just she's gorgeous. I I have a lesser. Yeah, I was just going to say you got to put the lesser into that. Lesser blonde pastel. Well, I, did, I hatched. I hatched out one lesser blonde pastel this year. Oh, and she's cool! She's just amazing. Wow, those bumblebees are killer too. I'm just seeing those. Three sixty. Yeah, there's that. There's there's one that's like really high white sides. Yeah, I see that one. It's there's awesome. a lot, a ton of white it on just, it. Yeah. It just kills me when I see the prices on these and how much they used to be. I'm like, wow. I remember when bumblebees were ten times that much. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. But I think it's fortunate for, you know, the majority of hobbyists out there so they can afford those cooler snakes, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I saw a, uh, I saw a pastel ball python in PetSmart the other day. For, um, <laughs> really? For, for 100 but for, yeah, for 120 bucks. It was, wow. it was a dirty-looking pastel, but nonetheless. When I first saw right, it, I was right. like, oh, wait a second, that's not a normal. I was looking at it. And I was like, I was thinking to myself, whoa, maybe they got, you know, maybe it was somebody slipped up and, you know, it's a new morph or something. But then I read the, <laughs> you know, the, the price tag and it said pastel ball python. I'm like, oh, there you go. Yeah. So, well, the inside wow. scoop is supposedly, you know, a lot of the uh, lower priced morphs like pides and pastels and pinstripes are going to be in Petco's now because you're one of those big breeders that, Basically, supply hey, pies, with pies animals. Pies can be uh, can be a little more pricey still. You know, I wouldn't call yeah. them a lower price morph quite yet. But, yeah, but we're gonna I mean, start but, seeing yeah. a lot of that stuff. They're 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 stores. dropping fast though. Wow. Really? Yeah, they're dropping. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. actually, bananas. I think were upwards around last year were like ten thousand dollars, seven to ten thousand right, dollars right. for a, a banana. And this yeah. year, I think mm-hmm. I've seen them right around a thousand already. They've dropped yeah, that fast. I've seen like so, uh, three gene banana and coral glow stuff, you know, for like two thousand. And I was just like, wow! I remember twenty five thousand dollars from Nerd for for a coral glow, and I was just like, yeah. someday I'm going to get one of those, you know. And now it's like, well, if I actually put the money out to buy one, I I don't think I'd want to <clears throat> spend that money right now on one because you know, in a year or two, they're going to be Three hundred dollars, and it would suck to spend right. that kind of money, especially if it's just a pet, you know, because that's what mine is right now. It's just a pet, and I still spent two hundred dollars on it, and it's like that's a lot of money, you know. Yeah. You know, I can't see why anybody would. Well, I guess I can see why some people would, but you know, to invest like I don't know twenty grand in a snake, and then have to be in that that competition and that race to produce as many as you can in the next two years before the price drops. And you know the guys that you got it from are controlling the, the prices of things. So 
Like, yeah. you know, the chances of you actually making a return on that are slim, you know, and it's like... Yeah, unless you have, like, know. 20 breeder-sized females to breed it to. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they all lay eggs, you know. Right. It's such yeah. a gamble, and it's yeah. just like, it's like a stressful thing because you've you got so much money on the line. And I'd rather, you know, yeah. that's why I don't really spend crazy money investing in, like, the, the newest more. I, I usually wait a year or two because... Number one, I don't want to be in that race because it's stressful. It's not fun, and I right. I can wait. And I, you know, I, it's it's yeah. not that important. That reminds me uh, of the whole Enigma thing when that went down, 2005, 2006. It's just crazy seeing the bigger guys turn over like, you know, 30 geckos in in one uh, website update, and they're gone the next day for all sold. And then you know those people mm-hmm. are like, you know, having a hard time selling the stuff because everybody's got them and. You know, then the price just drops so fast on Enigmas. But, you know, turnaround is way different than with leopard geckos and ball pythons, too. So, Right, you know. right. Absolutely. I don't like seeing the prices drop on things. I Believe me, I don't. But I agree with yeah. you, too, Mike. Like, I, mean, I have mixed feelings about it. I like the fact that more people are going to be able to have access to them now. You know? Right. And, and you know what? That's a good thing, because now people that didn't, you know, have that twenty grand to invest in the animal. Can, they can invest in several of these, um, you know, like triple gene combos that are now, you know, a thousand dollars, and they can right. line breed them and perfect them. And now we're going to see, like, we're going to start seeing specific lines of certain things develop, and you know, people will be, you know, people will get known for like their line of bumblebees and you know their line of um, panda pieds or something, you know, and some will be better than others. Right. And so I like I like that whole aspect of it. So for that for that yeah. reason, there are there is some there's still some investment potential if, if you're going to do it like that. So I, I feel like the only way I could honestly get into breeding ball pythons is, and come out is if I had like several hundred thousand dollars and was able to <laughs> buy large like multi gene females and other males to be able to compete with you know the people that are actually making money in the business and. Otherwise, you know, it's like you just made a big mistake. You shouldn't have invested all that money because, you, you know, <laughs> unless you're able to, like, become someone that's known for it, the market is so flooded with ball pythons. Like at Tinley Park, yeah, it, it was 75% ball pythons probably. And, and wow. I talked to almost every breeder there, and I asked them, I said, how are you guys doing? You making out? Is the trip worth it? And, you know, uh, eight out of ten people said, you know, yeah, we haven't really been selling anything, and there was just a couple people that were making money, and that was, you know, the the couple bigger guys there. But it, it's different because, you know, the, most of the people probably love the snakes too, and they love what they're doing, and they just see that potential in making some money off of something that they love doing, you know. But and then it sucks though because. Uh, in this case, like with a lot of people with these more expensive things, uh, ball pythons, for example, is you're going to wind up not loving it so much because you lost so much money and your spouse is giving you so much crap about it or whatever, and then you wind up having to get rid of them all, you know? So, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah, it's got its, its good things and its bad things, you know what I mean? But like I said, if I was yeah. to do ball pythons, it, I, the only way I could do it is if I had lots of money. And uh, so, you know. It's a pet thing for now. Yeah, they're, I, yeah, the Buffalo Expo, they were selling 
at least two vendors up in Buffalo were selling their entire collection yeah. because they were just they were just trying to get out of it now. And I it, I'm not into in it for the money. I just want to feed my animals. That's the only right, you know, right. and that's all I I don't make anything. I make enough to cover the food and I almost don't make that so yeah <laughs> but as long as I can cover the food like like I started I wanted an albino and I started with two hats and I paid like almost a grand to get for two hats so I could come up wow. with an albino by the time I hatched out an albino they had dropped to like five six hundred dollars an albino right and people you know, have given so, the hats away yeah, yeah, and that's how it is now. Now you now you can get a head albino, probably forty bucks for yeah. a head albino, and it's wow. crazy. Yeah, and the only head albino someone would probably want is a giant adult female. You know what I mean? Because why would you yep. even bother growing that out? See, a lot of my hats this year, if people bought bought an albino, I gave away my hats with yeah. with an albino. Just as you yeah. know, just offer them. Well, do you do you want a hat to go with it? You know, just so that you know, I didn't have an extra mouth to feed, and and uh, you know, they they get a deal too. So, right. Hmm. Wow. You know, I always I always wanted a bumblebee too. Yeah, that's maybe, definitely maybe you and I. And what what do you got left as far as bumblebees, uh, Steve? I've got a high white, high white bumblebee, and then um, just a, a nerd lemon, lemon bumblebee, lemon pastel much, bumblebee. Uh, the high white um, is that a male or a female? They're both males, so you can put plug really? them right into yeah. You can hmm. probably in six months they should be big enough to breed, depending on how you feed them. Hmm. Right. I was thinking about, well, then you know, putting it to the female albino, maybe. Yeah, then you then you get uh, spiders, bumblebees, pastels, all hat and normals, all hat for albino. Yeah. Now, How much are you looking for that one? Um, three hundred shipped. I believe it is. Hmm. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna think on that. I'll let you know <laughs> soon. Cool. Yeah. What do you guys think about uh, the pastel super anchi yellow belly pie from E Reptiles? Thing's crazy, huh? Oh my god. I haven't seen it, but I can just imagine. You haven't seen it? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's nuts. Oh, there's there's crazy stuff out there. When you get into all the combos, mm. it's hard it's hard to keep up on what's what right. and which one looks like what and yeah, uh, some of them they they kind of look similar to me. You know, they look like uh, you know like washed out, and there's not much to it. But so, you know, well, some of them like that one I just mentioned is pretty amazing. Yeah. All right. Like well, that. well, we should probably get back to geckos. Right, we're talking about geckos. <laughs> <right now. laughs> hey, Steve, you're welcome to stay on with us if you'd like. It's up to you. Um, I'll let you guys. You guys talk about geckos. I'm still learning on the gecko side, so. Okay. But um, well, I'm just saying, I'm you, don't join, to, I'm you don't have to. You don't have to jump off if you don't want to. It's up to you. That's all. 
Okay, well, I'll, I'll hang out. It'll give me practice for Tuesday. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, um, so before we, we go any further, I forgot to play the Gecko Forums plug. And for those of you guys that don't know about Gecko Forums, check this out. We'll be right back. Did you know that since 2006, there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Gecko Forums is the most extensive database of leopard gecko history on the web right now. Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further. Visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums. Okay, everybody. One one last thing I'd like to mention about ball pythons. Um, You know, Steve, I'm still really thinking that the best move for me would be to find, you know, to pair with that female albino would be to find something that's, I, I was thinking like a pinstripe head albino or something that's head albino, like something like that's got gold color, like a, uh, you know, like a black pastel head albino or a cine head albino. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, the the, but, the black pastel or the black pastel albinos are amazing looking. They almost look like the lavender right. albinos. Yeah, those are nice. Really, really, really contrasts, and I mean they're real nice. Yeah, Dave, Real go nice. and then eventually black pastel. Don't do cine. There's so much nice. Yeah, yeah black okay. pastel. Like saying. Yeah, that orange just comes out. It's crazy. Yeah. And then, then I could breed them together, the two together, and I could make a super uh, black pastel albino, which would be solid orange. I take it, right? Yeah, I think it would be. I think it would be. I don't know if that's been done yet. I was just thinking the same thing. I'm sure it's been done. I, I, you know what else I saw was really cool was one of those um, genetic striped albinos. That thing was incredible. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those are nice. Hmm. Well, we have some comparable stuff in geckos, and um, we're actually coming up on our on the uh, half-hour half break, well, the half of the show break, but um, just want to let you guys know in the second half we're going to be talking about the funky jungles. And um, if you guys want to call in with your questions, the number is 646-478-5331. If you just want to call in and listen, uh, just call that number. You'll be able to listen. If you want to actually talk to us, it's going to ask you uh, to speak to the host, press 1. Just press 1 and you'll be put in the call queue. Um, but you know what? We're, I figure let's take our, uh, our sponsor break and then we'll just have the whole next hour free to talk. So uh, let's do that real quick. And we'll be back in a second, everybody. Gecko Nation Radio is a David Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by... Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, 
Look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more. And all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Razor Sharp Reptiles. Like the name suggests, Jamie Carnes has some sharp gecko and snake projects in the works. He is very well known for his work with rare species such as cave geckos, but also has some of the prettiest radar projects I've ever seen. Razor Sharp Reptiles is also known for high-end fat tails and beautiful rainwater leopard gecko morph projects. Check out RazorSharpReptiles.com online and on Facebook. ABDragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches, whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps. ABDragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. All right, everybody, we are back, and uh, this is going to be the second half of the show tonight. Uh, thank you guys for the com- compliments in the chat room. That's awesome. Um, all right, let's get right into it. Um, Mike, the reason why most of us know you today and I said this in the last broadcast, I believe that uh, this funky jungle gene that you discovered is great, but I think it's a facilitator that basically helped you to not only make a name for yourself and get recognized, but also helped all of us in the gecko community find you and get to become friends with you. And I think, uh, I think for that reason alone, things do happen for a reason. So... Um, you know, I, I think it's like one of those things where, you know, the universe just gives us a tool, and if we <laughs> if we take it and use it, you know, if we can make something of it. Some of us, you know, miss opportunities all the time. Um, what do you think about that? Well, I got to say thanks a lot, man, for uh, saying that. That's really awesome of you. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's just crazy. It kind of, you know, came out of nowhere, and... Um, I'm very. I feel very fortunate because yeah, it has uh, connected me to a lot of people, and um, as you know, and and some other people, I don't think everybody realizes, but I'm not, you know, a very big breeder. Like I told you, I have one rack, and like at the moment, I only have six adults, you know, geckos, and it's like, it just kind of yeah, it's just like you said, probably you know, it happened for a reason, and and um, I think it definitely could be. much more uh, widespread mainstream morph like like your bold stripes and everything that's um, you know well recognized as um, a gecko morph um, but you know like we talked about earlier there's you know there's a lot of work to do still um, originally we thought it was dominant but it uh, doesn't seem to be working out quite like that for a lot of people um, you know I 
I like I said, I don't I don't breed that many geckos, so I don't really have like this huge base to go off of, like all these records to go through. I you know I bred a few geckos, and I guess you can't really base something like, oh yeah, it's dominant when you only have bred, you know, a, a handful of them, as opposed to where you know someone like uh, Ron Tremper, you know, with his Tremper albinos or Eclipse or Giants and stuff, you know, you're gonna breed that for a couple of years and have hundreds of of geckos to look at and say, you know, whether what is, is what it is, you know? So, yeah, you know, it's about, about that on that mm-hmm. topic. I mean, we, you know, well, you know, you know, Mike, it, we're all still, like you say, we're all still learning on things. And, um, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it, it may take years to figure out. And that's, that the good part is you found it. That's the main right. thing. And you, yeah. and you brought it to the community. So what what yeah. happens from here on in is all is all a bonus. Um, why don't yeah. you tell us how you actually stumbled upon it and like what were the scenarios? Like, you know, a lot of people, you know, miss things and you know what I mean. How did you find the yeah. jungle gene? <clears throat> all right. Well, if you uh, heard back in the beginning of the uh, show tonight, I bought two geckos in 2005 off of. Um, on a classifieds. One was a tangerine bell. The other one was a, a blizzard. And then in 2006, I picked up a Max Nohat bell. And, you know, at that time, I mean, that, that was a $750 gecko, believe it or not. And I bred that to, um, to the blizzard and then to uh, a bell albino that I had gotten in 2005, a little later after those other ones. The original bell was a male, by the way. I don't want to confuse anybody. But so I got some like two bells from Reptile Industries um, at Tinley Park, and I bred one of those females. The other one didn't go, but I bred one of those females, uh, bell females, to that Max Nohat bell and that original Blizzard I got. And from the original Blizzard, I hatched <clears throat> out what was the first Funky Jungles. And the reason why I haven't bring up that other bell is just so people understand that I, I do know that it didn't come from that Max Snow hat bell. It, it had to have come from the blizzard because I bred that Max Snow bell or Max Snow hat bell to, the, to a bell that year, and I bred the geckos from that same line for several years afterwards and never hatched out a funky jungle. So I know it came from the blizzard, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it was probably two, probably two or three clutches in is when I hatched out the the funky jungle at that time, you know, that was my first season breeding. I was new to it all. I had, had no idea what anything was. So it was pretty much, okay, that's just another jungle to me. And it so it had obviously had a strange pattern to it. And I called that gecko jungle stripe JS for short. And, um, I took that gecko and bred that gecko back to one of the other siblings from it, which I still have Mr. Moon. He's like, Mr. Moon is like the great granddaddy to all, funky jungles that you find anywhere for sale. They all go back to him because that's, you know, let me just keep talking. Sorry. Um, so that Mr. Moon bred that to the, to JS, which was actually the first funky jungle ever. And then I hatched a whole plethora of funky jungles, uh, in 2007, my second season, breeding him to that one funky jungle and also back to his mom and, to another het blizzard gecko that was related to them, wasn't a funky jungle. And um, mm-hmm. still at that point, I didn't 
really realize I had anything special uh, until, you know, I hatched out one gecko from Mr. Moon and JS. I actually call him, like, I started calling that gecko Funky Jungle. Not as a morph, you know, like a nickname like a lot of us do when we hatch out something unique. And um, I did wind up selling that, like, most of the geckos I had produced, and I still do that every year. I wind up selling stuff that I regret and, um, you know, so... <laughs> At that point, it's like, what, 2007, we got the Funky Jungles. I got a whole bunch of them, and it's just like, I know there's something going on, but in the meantime, I thought I had something going on in the bells I had, too. Um, and, for you know, crazy as it sounds, I, I was sure that these geckos were going to make Enigmas because I was like, oh, they came from Reptile Industries. That's where Enigmas came from, and they look different from other bell albinos. Maybe eventually I could hatch out bell albinos from them. Like I said, I was new to it. And, you know, so a lot of my effort went into those. And in the meantime, you know, the funky jingles are getting passed off and I'm selling them and stuff. And uh, in between 2007, 2008, I started thinking, you know, that might actually be something because at that time too, the, the whole <laughs> the stuff in the bells was starting to fizzle out and people really thought I was crazy, you know, thinking that I could make enigmas from something when it really it was just like an anomaly that came out of nowhere. And um, so I wound up reacquiring this Maxino Blizzard that uh, I had sold. And I was like, you know what, if the Blizzard mom that originally produced the Funky Jungles made a Funky Jungle, I should be able to do that with the Maxino Blizzard, or maybe be able to do that rather. So I got it back, and I bred it to a Bell Albino, and I wound up hatching Funky Jungles from that. So I was like, wow there's something here for sure. You know, I, I shouldn't have been able to do that. You know what I mean? Because like the, the funky jungle had been in that, that blizzard side and I knew it didn't come from the bell albino line. And all of a sudden it hatches out and I'm like, wow, this is really cool. So from that point I was like, there's something here. And I put a lot, almost probably all of like my gecko breeding stuff into the funky jungles. And, uh, you know, in 2009, then we, we're still, I still wasn't sure, you know, is this actually morph? Can I sell this to people and say it's a morph? They're going to be able to make more of them or not. But when I bred the hats, uh, you know, het bells that had fun, they were funky jungle het bells, um, to bell albinos, and I hatched out the first uh, Max No Funky Jungle bell albino. And I was just like, wow, uh, this confirms it to me as far as I was concerned that this thing is genetic. And, uh, you know, that's when I started selling them as funky jungles. And um, probably jumped the gun a little too soon on that because, like, we're finding out now that they aren't quite dominant like I had thought um, because a lot of people, you yourself, Dave, have bred them and not produced funky jungles or not produced as much as they hope to. Um, for, like, <clears throat> you know, for those first few years, all the funky jungles I was hatching out you know, they had certain traits, and I followed that rule for a while until I started producing more geckos, and I mm -hmm. would get ones that were just as funky as the funky jungles ever were, but um, they didn't have a couple of the traits. And these traits that I'm talking about, I'm trying to find my site. Uh, these traits are like, uh, not, they, don't, they can't have a normal neck band. The neck band is either not even there, it's just gone and um also they would have this part of the, the body pattern would like dip into the tail pattern i don't really know how to 
explain it other than like if you go on my, my page on facebook.com uh, forward slash Ubel Farids, you'll see it, like my cover photo has a thing that says, you know, basically showing what a funky jungle is and what a funky jungle isn't. You'll, you can see that part of the body pattern I'm talking about, like dipping into the, where the tail section goes. Um, let's see. So, yeah, you know, I, I bred those, and then we started running into problems. Like, like I said, I was hatching out a lot of funky jungles to where I thought it was dominant. But then when we went into more genes, um, when I had the uh, Het Radar ones go, I hatched out three funky jungles from, like, I don't know, probably out of a dozen, and that's clearly, you know, that's either bad odds or it's not dominant. And um, and then even more, to, to complicate it more, when I bred it into white and yellow, we found even less. Like, I had, I did hatch out a white and yellow funky jungle, but it's, you know, it, it's uh, not quite as crazy as the uh, the original funky jungles, but still clearly not anything you should have hatched from, you know, the kind of pairing I did. And um, yeah. You know what, let me yeah. jump in for a second, Mike. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, I, you know, I was, one, one of the first things I did was um, I took a male jungle and I bred it to a, it was a funky jungle bell, of course, and I bred it to um, an Albi line bred snow. I think two, well, they were Albi line bred snows that were crossed to pure E. fasciolatus that I got from Marsha. And... Right. From those, from that pairing, I produced all, and they were all banded normals. There was no jungle pattern whatsoever. So uh, when that happened, I started asking around and this and that, and uh, I think I even, uh, you know, talked to you a little bit, uh, maybe in Facebook or something about it. I forget. Um, but I wound up uh, coming back to uh, to Matt, and uh, Matt had some um, some insight because he was also uh, breeding them and. If you don't mind, uh, Matt said that he would come on for about five minutes to share his experience with it. Absolutely. Yeah, to help everybody. Okay, I'm going to call him right now and have him chime in for a few minutes. And uh, don't worry, he's not going to steal your thunder. Yeah. That's all good. And, uh, yeah. I think it's cool that we call people on the air. Hello? Hey, Matt. Hey, Dave. How's it going? Good. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hope you don't mind, but we're trying to get some, some more insight into the funky jungle uh, gene, and I know you did some work with them, and um, we figured we'd give you a call and see if you share some of your experience. Um, sure, sure. Uh, I can definitely, you know, give you some of my experience working with, um, you know, the, the different pattern genes and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, I do have uh, some funky jungle stuff that is, uh, you know, directly from Mike as well. Um, so that can mm-hmm. kind of help out in the situation as well. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, there, there, there's definitely a few things that you kind of have to, you know, you know, consider and touch on and stuff like that um, when, when dealing with, uh, you know, pattern genes and stuff like that. I don't think it's as simple as everybody tries to make it out to be um, in a way. Um, and I think it's actually, you know, much more complex than uh, most people actually realize. Uh, 
you know, the, the biggest thing to remember is, um, you know, the, the banded form is the most dominant form that there is, basically. Um, from there, um, there, there was kind of a natural progression as far as the, uh, the way things kind of happened after that. Um, you know, there was, you know, minor aberrancies, and then there was, you know, jungles, as, you know, the, the term goes with, um, you know, broken neck bands and crazy whack-out patterns on the back, stuff like that. And then we got into, you know, stripes, uh, reverse stripes, which was just the total opposite. Um, the, the patternless stripe, which is basically like the stripe and reverse stripe kind of laying on top of each other, making the animal appear to have no pattern on its back. Um, and then from that, the eye pigmentation kind of, you know, popped out as well. Um, and, I, and I think what the, you know, you definitely got to realize is, you know, some of these things can actually, like, skip a generation, but that doesn't mean that they're receptive either. Um, so, you know, that's a, another thing that is, you know, kind of crazy and weird as well. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, Alberto did whenever the, the raptors first came out is the outcross at Afghanistan. Um, and all of the outcross animals, because they were bred to a pure subspecies, um, they all reverted back to banded-looking animals. Um, there, there was no jungle, there was no aberrancies, there was nothing. Um, so all those animals were basically banded animals, but those banded animals could throw any pattern after that, whenever, depending on which male they were bred to. Um, so, you know, just seeing that, you would kind of look at it as recessive, but, you know, technically it's not. So I think that's where a lot of, you know, misnomers come about is, you know, it can kind of act in one way to, um, you know, kind of make it look like it's, you know, a, a certain way of, 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 of it being, um, but that's all, you know, it, it's not always true. Um, you know, so with, like, the, uh, you know, with, with, like, jungles, for instance, sometimes they can look dominant in a way because it might be the other animals from that same line bred back to each other, even if, say, uh, um, you know, Mike kind of has, or he says that they're, you know, funky jungle siblings. So breeding a funky jungle, jungle sibling that is actually a banded animal, but it actually is carrying the, um, the, the jungle gene, if you will. So, you know, breeding, ah, that okay. to, that, breeding that back to a funky jungle will actually give you more funky jungles because it, it's actually carrying it, and it'll make it look like it's actually dominant. Do, do you see what I mean? So but it, it, could also, yeah, it could also look at it as a... You could, it could also be looked at like, oh, well, it's got to be recessive then, too, because, you know, it would be like, you know, the, the funky jungle being the, the actual recessive morph and the other one being pet, if you will. Like, you could look at it that mm -hmm. way, too. But it's actually neither. It's actually more of a line-bred polygenetic thing going on than actually either one of them. And, and there's not, like, you know, a super form um, of it either, um, even though, like, sometimes I'll refer to, like, a patternless stripe as kind of like a super stripe because it's actually, like, you know, both stripes on top of each other. And from that, you can pretty much get any other pattern that is, you know, below that. Like, you, from a patternless stripe, you can get stripes, reverse stripes, jungles, aberrant, and banded, depending on what what male you breed it to. So, you know, so that, that's where it, it's kind of weird. Amen. 
Yeah, so yep. Matt, let me just ask you a quick question. Um, being that I made the pairing between a funky jungle bell to a, uh, for for lack of a better term, a, a you know, I'm just going to call it a wild type with no heads. I bred the bred it to an Albi Limebred Snow crossed to a Puri Fascio from Marsha. So that, okay. that pairing produced all normals that were banded. So basically all those normals that are banded are likely carrying the gene for Funky Jungle or for Jungle, so that if I were to bring them back to the dad, I would likely hit on Funky Jungles, and it'll appear like, you know, at that at that point, if, if you know, that pairing, the babies will come out, some will be Jungle, so it'll appear like a, as a dominant. Is that what you're saying then? It, it, exactly. Well, actually, it'll it'll look like it's recessive because it'll look like all those the babies from that F1 are you right. know bred back to right. the dad. It, it'll make it look like it was recessive, but actually, it's neither. But I'm saying if that, if right. That if I sense. didn't like if I didn't know yeah if I didn't know about that initial pairing is, is what I'm saying. Then it would look like it was dominant because you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That then it then it, then it would look like it was dominant. So I mean, just depending yeah. on how you're looking at it and you know what the you know, the lineage of the animals are, then, you know, that can, can kind of skew things a little bit as well. I mean, the the, right. the good part about the funky jungle stuff, um, you know, having a name like that is you know what line it comes from. And, and that's, that's right. probably the most important thing is you know that, you know, those animals are derived from Mike's original, you know, funky jungle project, if you will, which, mm-hmm. you know, it definitely right. did have like, you know, and it still does, you know, some animals are very, very whacked out patterns. Unfortunately, whenever you outcross that to other things, like it can make the the, the craziness of the jungle become less and less, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So, you right. know, breeding funky jungle to funky jungle is always the best way to go because then it, you know, it, it's the, you know, the, the pure thing back to the pure thing and then you get the, the crazier jungles like, you know, Mike's known for. Um, but, you know, you got to make sure that they are actually, you know, from that line and haven't been mixed outcrossed to anything else first because then that will, mm-hmm. you know, make the make the pattern also a little bit different as well, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, no, it does. That, that's awesome. Um, that, that's, a, that's a big help because now for people that are chiming into this show, you know, they'll have a better grasp on exactly what's going on with this team. So, you know, yeah, let me, I, hey, I really appreciate let me, uh, your input. Let me jump ahead, in Mike. for one second while we still have Matt on. I totally am with you mm-hmm. with it, and I don't, like, I honestly, I don't know what's going on with Funky Jungles anymore, but I did want to mention <laughs> that Rob, uh, Empire Reptiles, he hatched out two Funky Jungles from Afghanicus this year. So that, like, confuses the heck out of me, you know, because, like, I was expecting all banded, too. And, I mean, he had a lot that he hatched out. You know, most of them, yeah, were banded, but he did hatch out two funky jungles. And, I mean, they were funky. You know, they weren't just a regular jungle. These things were funky, broken, extreme broken neck band, you know. And uh, so I don't, I don't know. What do you think about that? Um, I mean, you know, I, I would have to see all the, the actual animals, like, in, in the project. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's right. you know, a little bit a little bit harder to, you so know, kind of... the question of whether those Afghanicus were pure or not, basically, what you mean, right? Uh, in, mm-hmm. in a way, but, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things that, like, you know, if he says he's got pure ones, he's got pure ones. I mean, it's, it, you know, and, you know, it, it all depends on, you know, where the lines come from, stuff like that. I mean... I know that whenever we bred 
you know, um, and I'm saying like Alberto, um, he, he bred raptors that, you know, I mean, it was your, your typical pineless stripe raptor, like the, the acronym, like, you know, not banded or anything like that. Um, whenever it, whenever it was bred to pure Afghanicus, um, from Europe, the original ones that we, that we got in, they were all banded animals. Um, but you know, but the F2s from it, like even breeding, you know, them back to, back to back, stuff like that, that's whenever you're getting all kinds of, you know, crazy jungle eclipses and raptors and, you know, banded raptors. And I mean, that's, that's really whenever, you know, all the different, you know, forms of, yeah. uh, you know, pattern basically came out in raptors is whenever they were outcrossed to other things because then, you know, it, it was like I was saying before, you know, the the patternless stripe is kind of like the, once you have that, you can get everything else behind it. So it, it's one of those things, once that's in there, then you can get all kinds of crazy patterns and stuff like that. I mean, then you it, know, it, it, <clears throat> Go ahead, man. And, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, you know, the the only things that I can go by are animals in my collection that I've seen stuff happen. Right. Like, you know, uh, other people's collections I can't speak for. So, it's, it's, you, know, it's, uh, I, you know, I'm speaking from from my, you know, personal collections and what I've seen. Yeah. And what I just mm-hmm. thought about, too, is I remember, it was probably two or three years ago, but I think it was Eric Bristow, he was getting like semi-aberrant Afghanicus from his peer stuff too. So maybe I'm, I was thinking maybe Rob's line of Afghanicus might have come from those Afghans that were throwing sort of aberrant stuff, and then you mix that with the funky jungle, and maybe that just helped it connect a little more. And maybe that's why we were seeing those funky jungles coming from quote-unquote pure uh, animals. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, actually up until probably this past year, every single Afghanicus in the U.S. was related to 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 each other. Um, yeah. Just because, you know, Alberto brought in, I, I want to say the the initial batch that he brought in was like a 3.20. And, oh, yeah. and all of, you know, and there was a lot of them. I mean, you, you got some of them, um, you know, Eric got some of them. And the, the other thing, too, is, um, a lot of them had that four-eye pattern on the top of their head. Right. You know, right. Back, back in the day, that's what they used to consider a marker for aberrancy, was that oh, four-eye right. trait. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean that that was back in the day. That's what they thought. I don't know if it ever, like, proved out to be or not. Right. But hey, it that, had to come that, from somewhere, right? It, it, exactly. And, I mean, it's it's one of those things that, you know, in, in any any, you know, collection of animals, you know, stuff can can change because, you know, just, you know, it's not really natural selection with us. We're actually picking up the weirdest looking stuff and then breeding those back to make right. even more weird stuff. So, you know, any sort of little aberrancy, even on like a tail or anything like that, like, um, you know, a couple of my, you know, hard wiki that, you know, you know that they're not, you know, crossed to anything because there's only a few of them in, in the captivity in the world. Right, right. Um, you know, even some of those have, um, like broken neck bands, um, you know, weird aberrancies on the tail. And then, you know, you breed those together, who knows what can happen. I mean, that, that's, that's what we look for as, you know, morph breeders is little differences in our animals, and then we try to exaggerate it as much as possible. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that could definitely be, I mean, it, it, it all starts from somewhere. I mean, all these animals look exactly the same in the wild, pretty much. So, it's, 
you know, and, and look at what we have today. It, it's just, I mean, you know, look at tangerines, for instance. It started off as, like, one little spot on one animal, and now right. we have solid animals that are, you know, solid orange. So, right. you know, anything can happen in the captive, in captive breeding, and I think that's kind of the hard part about having subspecies is not natu- or not artificially selecting the, the brightest or the coolest-looking one. Like, you almost yeah. want to have the ugliest-looking ones possible because right, that's what right. they normally look like. You know what I mean? Yeah. But as, as humans, we're, you know, we're, we're always, you know, and as morph breeders, we're always like, oh, this one has a little bit of carrot tail. Keep that one. You, you know what I mean? And then from that, it just gets even more, you know, you know, more yellow on them, more extreme colors. And then, you know, a few generations later, you're like, oh, well, this doesn't even look like the Afghanicus anymore. You know what I mean? So that's, you know, one of the things that you kind of have to watch out for as, you know, a subspecies breeder also is that you're not handpicking, like, the weird ones. You know what I mean? You want them as normal yeah. as possible. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the thing that you kind of want to go with with them. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's definitely, like, your line of jungles is definitely more extreme than most. And it actually is a good thing to To have a name towards them, so that you can know where the lineage came from, you know, further down the road. It's almost like uh, how tangerines have different names. It, it, it's right. great to know where they originally came from. And I mean, like you, you've been around for forever. It seems like so. It, it's good to know where that where that line of animals came from. And I mean, you have it so documented that you know, Mr. Moon is one of the original you know fathers, like. Like, right. people can know that, you know what I mean? And and I yeah. think that's what's so cool about your line is that, like, it was such a small um, group that you were working with that, like, you could literally go back in history and know the exact animal that it came from. Yeah, right. You, you, you yeah. know what I mean? And with, with totally. bigger collections, it's, it's, that's, that's not the case. So it's, right, where did they you know, come t- from? And you exactly, can exactly. it again. Yeah, yeah. Hey. Yeah. Dude, while you're no. here, I got a quick history question for you. It seems okay. to have forgotten. Just the other day, I was thinking about, um, you know, super hyper. Clear up your connection, Mike. And uh, you got me now. Better. Hello? Yes. All right. Sorry. I dude. can hear you. Okay. <laughs> right. uh, so you know, we all, I mean, at least the older guys know about uh, Ray Hine typo, aka ghosts. And I was wondering, are the are all super hypos related to that, or did someone line breed for for the super hypo too, or is that, you know what I mean, or is that two separate things? Um, did, the, is everything they, there are there are different ones. You can't tell. The, yeah. There are different ones, but unfortunately, a lot of it's so mixed up that you know. Yeah. It's, I mean, the the original Ray Hyde carrot tail were like a, a yellowish animal with an orange tail, basically. Right. Um, yeah, they, they weren't. Those. Yeah, they weren't necessarily like the ghosts that he had. Those were actually something a little bit different as well. Um, okay. But you know what, what? What had happened was, I mean, you know, there there was definitely the hypos, and then there was definitely the tangerine, and then they got the right idea to mix the two to make the super hypo tangerine. But there's also other lines of tangerine as well, like uh, like the gourmet rodent line, for instance. Like they kind of started making their own line of tangerine like way back in the day, and actually. You know, even even more back in history, like that's where Albi got a lot of his original yeah. animals. Whenever he started his line of tangerines, right. and that, that's, like, that's, that's uh, who I was thinking about when I started thinking about. It. I was like, I remember back, 
you know, and I'll be on his site, he had separate categories for tangerine, carrot tail, hypo, you know, a lot of yeah. course along with his lime bread snows up at the top. But yeah. uh, this brings me to a quick question also. Say, um, for example, in like, I think it was 2009 or 2010, I bred Mr. Moon, who is, you know, a highly patterned Max Snow, to a Bell High Bino, and I hatched out perfect super hypos from that. Would you assume that the hypo that was bred to him was, uh, you know, the dominant hypo or ghost or whatever? Or do you think from a line bred hypo you could actually reproduce super hypos in the first generation bred to like such a heavily patterned gecko? Um, that, that's, that's actually a good question. And there actually is two different types of hypo. But unfortunately, like sometimes the, the lines are very skewed on of what they are. Um, you know, the, the actual hypo gene itself is dominant. And okay. it and you know, it, it can definitely be seen in say my marble eye project where I outcrossed it to subspecies and then like crossed it back and stuff like that. Like even with the outcrossing it, like you would get, you know, hypos the first generation because, you know, the, the original marble eye stuff is actually super hypo uh, tangerine albinos, basically. Yeah. So it, it actually has the hypo gene in it. But now we're actually picking out the ones that are, you know, have the more pigmentation and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. you know, we're kind of like backtracking and taking the hypo out. But there also is, you know, line bred types of hypo, which, um, you know, that's what kind of kind of Alberta was trying to do, you know, a long time ago with the. And, and, th- and this is kind of what true uh, tangelos are supposed to be, is they are, you know, line-bred tangerines that the tangerine overtakes white pigmentation. And that yeah. is more of a line-bred thing. It's not like, you know, straight out of the egg, it's, it's hypo. It, 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 it has developed over, over time to, to look like that. But that's, that's the true tangelos. I mean, there's a lot of outcrosses out there, too, that, you know, they, now they have the hypo in there. And once they have the hypo in there, it's hard to distinguish between the two after that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. Cool, man. I mean, that's... Hmm. Yeah, no problem. No problem. <clears throat> wow. That's, I tell you. Well, just so you guys know, Matt's going to have pretty much a show devoted to him a month because Matt pretty much knows just about everything there is about genetics. So uh, we got to put that together, Matt, uh, so you can basically help educate everybody out there. You really know your stuff, dude. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate you coming uh, on tonight. Yeah, no problem. And I uh, just wanted to say, you know, definitely hi to Mike. Uh, I actually had the opportunity to meet him for the first time in person um, at Chicago, and it was uh, it was actually nice to, you know, actually get to meet him in person after, you know, yeah, talking was, with him on the cool, phone man. and all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah it was uh, it was definitely cool, and it was it was good to see it, you know, coming down and, uh, you know, taking in the Chicago show. You'll have to come to it right. more often. I was actually headed out the door, too, and, like, I'm going down the aisle, and I hear, Mike, Mike, and I'm like, what, what? And I turn around, and there's Matt. I didn't even notice him. You know, he had his sign down and everything. They were closing down the show on Sunday, and I was like, cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. Got two two yeah. free shirts, too. Two free shirts. Yeah, exactly. you, you got to get some pictures with those things, Mike. <laughs> I know. I saw, like, your uh, Sasselback Club or whatever. I was like, i got to get a pick up there. Yeah. They're exactly. pretty cool exactly. shirts, too, man, you know. So I well, thanks, thanks, thanks for thanks. that, man. Oh, thank you. No problem, man. Too. Actually got my yeah. size, you know, so it's yeah. not easy. <laughs> right. 
But, uh, well, I, I won't take up too much more of you guys' time. Uh, you know, hopefully you guys have a great rest of the show, and uh, we'll definitely talk to you both soon. Thanks, man. All right, cool, Matt. Thanks for chiming in. No problem. I'll talk to you guys later. All right, thanks. Bye. All right, cool. All right, everybody. Um, so that's that's the lowdown on some of the jungle genes and how they work. Um, you know, I think I think Matt's input is excellent, and that you know, there's a lot of these little inside things about some of these genes that um, many of us are just uh, we're, we're at different stages of understanding. Um, you know, and I think it goes based on experience. I mean, you know, people like Matt is, have been breeding geckos for so many years. They're just gonna they've seen more, they've hatched more, uh, they just, they get it more than some of us, um, and yeah. that, that input was he awesome. Had, yeah, he had a great yeah. mentor, too, you know, he was very fortunate to have Alberto, you know, who was one of the, uh, people probably don't even know about A&M Gecko, but he was, like, you know, top, one of the top breeders back in the day, and, you know, Matt was able mm-hmm. to, to have him as a mentor, and, you know, even though Matt and I have pretty much been doing it the same amount of time, you know, clearly, you know, he's, he knows what he's talking about, you know? Yeah. Well, so, you know, he's hatched out it, so many different yeah. combos and whatnot. Yeah. And, you know, you know to, on the topic of Matt, you know, he, we, he's had his fair share of blows dealt to him over the years. And I, I have to say that I'm very glad that he stuck around in uh, uh, the hobby and all, even more so in the community and continued to, uh, you know, um, come out and speak for himself and, uh, you know, represent and, and to not just be one of those like reclusive breeders that you don't even, you know, who they are as a person, you know what I mean? They're just someone that makes nice geckos, but you know, me, you and I are fortunate enough to know Matt as a person and he's actually, you know, a great person. I, uh, recently had an auction for, to make money for a seat cushion for my wheelchair. And, uh, I raised the funds for that, um, thanks to Daryl Burton and, uh, but Matt also mm-hmm. donated enough money for me to buy the cushion as well. And after the auction end, I told him, you know what, we made the money, and here I'll send the money back to you. And he told me, no, just keep it. That's you can use that, you know, for whatever. And I was like, wow, that's pretty darn cool for someone that a lot of people think isn't, you know, such a great person. But actually, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover or by some story you may have heard that, you know is all just hearsay because unless you hear it from the horse's mouth it really shouldn't be taken as truth and uh so yeah matt's a really awesome person and he deserves a lot of respect for everything he's done for the hobby yeah right right on like that was awesome and you know what he's been misunderstood by many and that's the bottom line and um i've been fortunate enough to get to know matt a little bit a little better than uh other people may have and yeah it's it's when you have something that everybody wants and when you have, you know, pretty much one of the most amazing collections on the planet, you're going to be the envy of a lot of people. And, you know, a lot of people won't see past certain feelings and emotions they have like that. And, you know, they, it, it, it's unfortunate. It really is. Um, but yeah. Matt's, uh, Matt's going to be a big part of the show. He's going to uh, contribute a lot, and I'm really looking forward to it. We're actually um, planning on uh, putting something together specifically for him. And uh, I'm not sure exactly how we're going to do it yet, but maybe it'll be like uh, once a month you can ask Sasebeck, you know, like like a, a <laughs> show that's called it, you know. Yeah, and we'll just take genetics-type questions, husbandry questions, and, and have him help the community. Whatever he wants to do, we'll, we'll figure it out. But uh, it's definitely something to look forward to. Um, 
But, you know, Mike, uh, let's, let's start talking about some of the deep stuff that we wanted to get into. And um, so, what do you, so what do you think? What is the meaning of life and who created the universe? <laughs> well, I don't think we could truly know that. It's all pretty much, you know, up for us to, to decide what we want to decide. But I think what people mm-hmm. need to realize is that you can believe anything you want to believe, but, you know, there's going to be people that don't believe what you believe, and you you have to not um, rub people the wrong way. Like, oh, well, you should believe this, or you believe that, you're crazy. You know, it's, it's, it's teach our own, really. Um, life is awesome, and, I, you know, I feel just like... Uh, so fortunate because, you know, I've, I've dealt with some things in the past where I'm lucky to be alive. So to ask someone like mm-hmm. me or anybody that's had, you know, experiences in their life where they could have lost their life, you know, what's the meaning of life? To me, it's just waking up, you know, that next day and being alive. And, and really, uh, for me, I feel like I have a calling to connect to as many people as I can. You know, I, I, um, I'm kind of, uh, I don't know exactly how to say it. I'm kind of, I kind of need uh, a lot of work on myself to do right now before I can really get out there and help people. Uh, I'm still putting the pieces together, um, even though it's been, you know, 13 years since my injury. But I'm still, you know, trying to figure out, uh, you know, and make things work for myself so I can get out there and, uh, you know, help people out. And But, you know, the meaning of life really uh, – it's 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 really there is no answer as far as I feel um, because well I know what the meaning of life isn't and it's it's not to uh, you know uh, have the most crap and and just be all about yourself because there's so many uh, people out there that you should connect with and you know it's it's like um, you know just just like I was saying earlier when we were talking really it's you you know you can think you know everything but you can have one conversation with a stranger and they say you know a couple sentences to you and that could change your whole way of thinking so i really mm-hmm. I think you you got to be open to uh pretty much everything and you don't have to accept everything as truth or anything you should find your own truth in things um but i think that uh Gosh, I don't know. Okay, why don't you go ahead and say something now? <laughs> How about this? I, I, you know, no, you, you got it. I'll jump in too. But we have a caller on the line. I think let's let's see if we can okay. take this call. Um, caller from the four zero one area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hi, caller. You, you, are you calling to listen or to, to ask a question? Okay, they're just listening. All right, never mind. Um, anyway, Mike, um, maybe difficult for for others that obviously haven't gone through it. Um, do, would you say that it helped you in many ways to um, um, extremely give you the perspective to to ponder the deep questions? Yes, absolutely. Because um, you know, it, it kind of uh, I want to say. I wasn't challenging myself enough. Uh, I was kind of just riding on the coattails of wherever they were going to take me, you know, and uh, it it slowed me down a lot. 
and um, I have spent quite a long time uh, to myself. And, uh, you know, I, I lived in an apartment for like eight years, and I would go a couple months without even going out the door um, because it just wasn't accessible to me. And um, so you spend a lot of time thinking to yourself and just thinking about really everything in general, and you kind of can, you know, weed out the stuff that's not so important and get the, you know, you know what I mean, like uh, generally mm-hmm. someone comes home, how was your day, how's the weather, you know, who won this, who won that, blah, 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 did you hear how much the Powerball's up to, you know, that kind of stuff really doesn't matter. But I'm not saying, like, anybody that talks about that and finds that important to the conversation they might have when they get home is, is wrong because, you know, a lot of people – there's just so much going on in their lives besides, uh, you know, you know, their own personal relationships with others. You know, there, there's so many, um, things that affect you too. So, yeah, I think that, uh, me getting paralyzed and, and kind of not, uh, really having as much responsibility as a lot of, uh, able-bodied people have really helped. Yeah. Definitely helped me put things into, uh, my own perspective. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it, it just goes to show you that some of the most negative things in life can truly uh, become a positive. And um, I've had experiences, and I didn't have the most easy childhood, uh, Mike, and I, I basically had experiences that helped me become more enlightened and to, to think more and just to just to be more open-minded and to explore different um, different things that, just wouldn't that normal people just don't even question they just uh, go right. about their lives as you know as automatons in a lot of senses and um, right. you know the one of the things that fascinates me most is our origins and our true our true origins and basically our true purpose for being here on this planet as human incarnate beings and uh, right. I, it's my opinion that it's my opinion that we all are basically spirits. We're all um, basically energy that exists in a different dimension. And the only way we can actually exist in this reality is by possessing a physical body, which I like to call a meat suit, because that's pretty much what right. it is. And yeah. some of our meat suits are look different than others, and you know, and some, you know, some are bigger, some are smaller, whatever. But when the meat suit dies, like when the car breaks down it goes on and um, maybe it goes back to its true original home and uh, right. I don't think death is anything to be afraid of and I think uh, our time here on earth not. right so our, if, if, if you're not afraid to die if you under if you have an understanding of things like that then your time here on earth can be appreciated more and um, I guess you can have that perspective and I think Mike you are just I mean I don't know you as well as I'd like but I, from what I know about you, know, I think you're, you, you're, you're, you haven't even gotten started yet. You're on your way to doing something really big for for the world. And I uh, hope so. That's, you know, that's that's my dream. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I feel the same you way. Originally... As you know, Dave. Oh, that? that's cool. I know, I know you do. Um, you recently went went to a special. Uh, you had an experience going away to a special um, uh, hospital. Um, yeah, and I think right, right. the last the last time you were on the show, you were you were you hadn't gone there yet. Is there anything you'd yeah. like to tell us about that experience? Well, actually, yeah. The last time I was on the show, I didn't even know about the place that I went to. I was 
looking at going to this um, physical rehab place in Colorado called Craig Hospital. And um, uh, I actually had gone through all the ropes, had everything set up, and, you know, was getting ready to, like, be like, yeah, I'm really going. And then I turned out that um, uh, while I thought I was going to go there and be an inpatient, they thought I was moving to Colorado to be an outpatient, you know. So that kind of fizzled away. And then uh, a person found out uh, about this place in Chicago called the Rehab Institute of Chicago, and, uh, you know, I call them up to set up an appointment, and I went down. Uh, within two weeks, they called me back and said, all right, we got a bed for you. And I was like, holy cow. You know, they're like, can you come in tomorrow at noon? And I was like, well, oh, I don't know about that. Give me a couple of days, you know. So, yeah, I went there. Um, it's basically uh, uh, the Rehab Institute of Chicago is one of the, uh, not one of, but it is the top um, physical rehab um, institute uh, in the country. And they have been for like 23 years now. They're very proud of that. They have signs everywhere there. And um, basically uh, what I did there was I was in this program called the Second Look Program. And um, basically what they would do is they take people like me, for instance, who are so far post-injury, you know, 13 years since I was injured, and they they take a look and see uh, can we help improve your life by coming here. And um, so clearly they found things that I could improve upon because they called me back so quick. And I went there and I, um, you know, I had uh, some several goals and I achieved those goals there uh, that I wasn't able to achieve when I was originally in uh, physical therapy and occupational therapy back, you know, uh, the year after I was injured, Um, things like transferring out of bed and just turning myself in bed, um, uh, which are, you know, very important things to be able to do. And uh, before I left there, I was able to do both. And, I mean, it was a a very moving experience um, just being able to do those things. I I basically, you know, was holding back the tears when I was able to transfer myself because it was something I thought I could never do. Basically, what I mean transferring, I mean going from bed into my chair, from my chair into my bed. It's something I honestly thought I could, I would never be able to do because I just, I couldn't do it back in the day when I originally was in therapy. And uh, mm-hmm. so I was able to do that. I met that goal and uh, I was able to turn myself in bed, which is so important because people with um, injuries like mine and, and, you know, older people, they have compromised um, um, circulation in their body. So they don't, places that have pressure on them don't get the blood flow there and tissue can break down and so you need to be able to turn yourself in bed at night to be able to get off of your butt and which brings me to the topic of I got out of there with high hopes on my shoulders and then I wound up getting a pressure sore on my butt so it's really slowed me down and uh, for a good month I was pretty down in the dumps like you know what this isn't going to happen for me I'm, I, I uh, was pretty much back to where I started from. Um, but, you know, things are going better now. Uh, I had an auction to get a new seat cushion. This uh, pressure sore is just about healed up, and I'm ready to get back, you know, uh, working on towards uh, getting a, a, a more, you know, fulfilling my my, uh, my life a little more and being able to, to uh, alleviate the worries that I have right now so I can focus on the true purpose that I have here. And, um, you know, I'm looking at finally getting out um, from living with my mother. I've lived with my mother all my life. I just turned 31, and 
Um, you know, I'm looking into some subsidized apartments uh, starting this week. So very soon I could be getting out and, you know, leading a more active life. And like I said, I, I have these worries and, and um, certain needs that I need to take care of before I can truly um, help people out and just, you know, do what I really feel like I, I was saved for. I feel like I was saved um, not not meaning not not in like a biblical sense, but like nothing wrong with that, by the way. But like I should have died in my accident. You know, the the, the paramedics told me, you know, you shouldn't have made it through this, but I did, and I feel like you know my purpose now is to go out and just not necessarily open people's minds, but to or not to change people, but to just show them that they are greater than you think. You know, you are amazing there. You can do anything, and I, I just, that's what I want to do. You know, young and old, not just kids, but, you know, kids obviously are, um, not, I don't want to say more important, but, you know, the, the children of today are going to be so-called leaders of the world in the future, and, and um, you know, you kind of need to start with them. But uh, adults too, though, because they're still around here on this earth right now, and they have a great amount of influence upon young people. So the more adults you influence and, and, and the more children you can influence, and then, you know, eventually, I'm not saying we'll live in utopia, but I think we could treat each other a lot better. Yeah. You're, you're so right, man. And, you know, I love the way you relate to people. I, I follow you on Facebook. I checked out a lot of your YouTube videos. And, guys, if you haven't checked out Mike's YouTube videos, please do. He's got some great ones. And you'll actually you'll get a better feeling for the type of person Mike is by watching his videos. And um, this is a kind soul. And I've I got to tell you, you don't come across too many people today uh, that are genuinely just good-hearted people. I mean, I think a lot of us have it in us, but I believe that this economic system that kind of enslaves us more or less uh, kind of right. proliferates certain negative traits in human behavior. It makes us greedy. It makes us competitive, overly competitive. It makes us scam each hate other each for other. financial... It makes That's us hate each other, yes, yeah, yeah. for financial and success. And and, right, and it's, yeah. it's terrible. And now, and it's having all that... Having, having, you know? It's all unnecessary. And you know what? I don't, I'm not trying to proliferate, or I'm not trying to suggest that uh, a whole Pollyanna type of you know, love you right. all the time attitude is appropriate either because there are times when people need to be strong and fight for their rights, and that's Absolutely. not it. But I do, right, but I, but I do believe things, you know, we create our own reality, and I believe the things that are happening to us today are results of us either not doing things that we should have or standing up for things that we should have or us, you know, allowing others to, to do these bad things, whether it's in our society or government or whatever. I mean, we're getting right. what, what, we, what we ask for, more or less. And, yeah. Mike, your, your message is, is very important to people. And if more people would open up and keep an open mind about things and, you know, try to um, just be kind to one another, things would be a lot different. I see so many problems on Facebook and in our, in our reptile community. It's so ridiculous. And it's it's petty. It's so petty. Like there are literal, like people are out to get each other for no reason, and they exert, they exert so much negative energy towards that. 
if they would exert that same energy towards doing good, I mean, we'd be unstoppable. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's I like, mean, everybody it's like we're distracted. Thing. Right. What people ahead, don't realize ahead, is that we, we, we all have a voice, but so many of us choose not to use it. And if if more people would use that voice that we have, and and what I mean, I don't mean, you know, maybe partially, I mean, stand up to, you know, the government or whatever. But you know, that's that might be a fight that we can't win. But you know, if enough people change the ways that that we think and, and treat each other, eventually, you know, you're going to get the right people in politics, where that the majority is now people that aren't out there to make profit off of other countries and turn them into, you know, like like what you see in a lot of third world countries, you know, where we have trade embargoes and, and we we take their uh, resources in return for water or stuff that, you know, they wind up really not even being able to get. And, the you know, like, for instance, in that, that matter, that's really not what that's about. They're not there for the resources. They're there to keep them from turning into, uh, you know, economic powers because that's what they're afraid of. They're afraid of economic powers that they don't have control over. Hence why there is uh, um, always confrontation between the Western world and, and countries like China because China isn't, you know, controlled by us and, and same things like, you know, Iraq and Syria and whatnot. They want to get rid of, um, depending on, uh, you know, the United States dollar, you know, they don't want to trade their gold and, or their oil for the U.S. dollar. They want to trade it in gold or whatever. So then this war starts. They have it under this guise of terrorism or they went there to fight to stop this or that. But the truth is, is it's all about the, the money that they want to control. And people need to stop letting money be God, per se, and, and realize that um, it's not, and if you do have money, if you are fortunate enough to be one of those people that have that kind of money, you should put it back to the people as opposed to trying to make your your superpower so much more powerful by controlling people through through money. You know what I mean? Right. It, yeah, and you know, I don't understand these businesses. Like, once you, once you make $10 million, like, for me, like, if I made $10 million, I seriously... I would stop working. And to me, it's like, all right, right, even with inflation, even with inflation or whatever, I'd still be able to have enough money to survive the rest of my life. Right. You know, and, right. and I'd be happy. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't understand why people need to accumulate more and more and more and more, and and you know, and then they die, and they're like, wow, I wish I would have did more with my life. I remember seeing Absolutely. something on Facebook about yeah, the top ten regret regrets of people on their deathbed, and like the one of the one of the biggest ones was. Uh, I wish I didn't work so hard. <laughs> right. You know? Right. Because yep. people work yep. their whole lives and, you know, miss out on so many experiences. And they're not huge. They're not experiences that you need money to do. Like, these are, you know, just simple experiences like like learning how to meditate or learning how to, you know, or teaching a child or something, you know? Like, these are things yep. that don't cost money. Um, you yeah. know, it's it's weird. Yeah. I hope that. Yeah. Uh, I think people yeah, are waking up, ahead. though, Mike. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. Think? Um, I think I think that whole that phrase of being awake and uh, awoken uh, is uh, misinterpreted, though, because a lot of people uh, attach that to things like conspiracy theories. Like, oh, now I I know that 
so-and-so actually happened because of this or because of that. I think the awakening movement needs to be more so like what, what I was saying is that, um, you know, we are all uh, just as important as anyone else and uh, we're all capable of loving each other and, and just because someone's different from you doesn't mean that they can't feel the same way you do. They can't feel that good, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, this person looks like that, so there's no way that they could be a, a kind-hearted person, so I'm not even going to give them, you know, a second of my time, you know what I mean? If I'm out on the street right. or if I, like, when I was up at the, at the rehab place, I would sit outside and every single person that walked by would say, hey, how's it going? How was your day? And, and and Chicago gets a bad rap of, you know, everybody's a jerk there. But you know what? Nine out of ten people said the same thing right back to me. They said, oh, great, I'm, I'm doing good. How are you? It's nice to see you outside and out and about in the world and stuff. So people mm-hmm. just, you know, we ah, – it's just it, – it makes They're distracted. Yeah, no, Mike, they're distracted. It. Yeah, they're distracted in, in, you know, going to work, paying their bills, this and that, you know. Um we're flooded with too many things that keep us from expanding our consciousness. We're, we're always worried about how we're going to pay the next bill or what's the next problem that we're going to be faced with. And uh, it's crazy. But um, we're, we're coming to the end of the show, Mike, and I want to give you the opportunity to, to give, give any closing remarks that you'd like and maybe perhaps uh, tell, tell the world what uh, your plans are for the future if you want. Okay. Well, uh, um, I want to give a big shout out to all the people that really enjoy the funky jungles. And I want to say that I am sorry to all those people that have come to me looking for them. And I have to turn you away and say that I don't have any available. We are definitely planning on uh, upgrading the amount of breeders we have for next year and the years to come. And we're going to refine the funky jungle and make them you know, just as awesome as they were the first couple of years I bred them and as funky as ever. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to take uh, definitely not just into consideration, but I really am going to apply that to my breeding about stuff that Matt talked about tonight. And, um, you know, we're going to – the funky jungles are going to be around for a long time. I'm not going to let them just fade away like so many morphs that haven't been figured out yet. You know, I still have the fun mm-hmm. – Geckos for it, and um, yeah, like like I said, you know, uh, go check out my website. Or well, I don't have that up, but go to my Facebook page. You know, follow it. Just you know, send me messages, whatever. I'll put you on waiting list. We'll have Funky Jungles next year. And uh, once again, thank you for everybody, and and you know all the other support I get too, for uh, you know everything. Of course, and and Mike, I just want to thank you very much for coming on tonight. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. All right, Mike. We'll be talking to you soon. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Dave. Take it easy. All right. Later. All right, everybody. Um, great interview. Mike is a terrific, uh, terrific person. I, I really uh, admire and respect him. Um, given his situation, I don't know if, um, if I'd be as optimistic as him. Um, I'm going to play the outro, and then I'll come back with my closing remarks. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. 
Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the herb community with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance. They are our most effective defense against legislation that threatens our rights of exotic animal ownership. Sign up for their newsletter and donate if you can at usherp.org. All right, everybody. Another edition of Gecko Nation Radio comes to a close. I am very pleased with uh, how this show is going and how well it's received by all of you. I want to thank all of you for making this show so successful. Uh, tonight's episode um, stirs up a lot of feelings for me. Um, as I said before the, the outro break, um, I'm not sure if I was in Mike's situation, if I'd be as optimistic as he is. I, I believe that um, Mike is very special, and he's a very strong person to persevere even through his, his uh, difficulties, okay? Um, strength is something that we all have inside of us, and sometimes it takes a, something serious in our life to bring it out. Um, but Mike is truly on his way to doing great things for the community and great things for the world, I believe. So um, you're a great guy. All right, everybody. I will see you all in the Ghetto Nation after party chat. Thanks again. Good night.